0: Take charge of your leadership development. Join our How to Take the Lead Substack community for bonus materials, exclusive content, and discussions
1: that will challenge and change the way you lead.
0: Visit howtotakethelead.com to find out more.
1: What's the what's the phrase? Close all the hatchets? No. I don't, oh, I don't know what the phrase is. Bung bunker down the hatchets? No, what's what's the word? Well, you've confused me now because there's so many in there. I'm like, I don't know which
0: saying she wants, hun- Hunk I don't know. Are we hunkering down? Are we closing that?
1: I don't know what we're doing. But I get I know what you mean. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some kind of Dorothy and Wizard of Oz in the storm kind of situation I've got in my mind. You're listening to How to Take the Lead with Lee Griffith and Carrie Ann Wade, two corporate colleagues turned business besties who question everything we've ever learned about leadership. What started with us putting the world to rights over a gin after work is now a weekly
0: show challenging the myths and perceptions and exploring what leadership looks like in the modern day. We'll also be sharing our experiences and stories along the way. Visit howtotakethelead.com to find our show notes, subscribe to our email list for extra goodies, as well as catch up on previous
1: episodes. And we're now on social media. Media. So, get involved in the conversations by following us on Twitter or Instagram at How to Take the Lead. Hello, and welcome to another week of How to Take the Lead. I have my lovely collaborator, Carrie Ann, with me. For some reason, I thought you were going to call me your assistant and I was going to become like <laughs> Debbie McGee. Do you know, as I was saying, <laughs> that picture also came into my mind. Also, reference points, and that's going to mean nothing to quite a lot of our listeners, I should imagine, but anyway. How weird that we both had the same image. Yeah. Anyway, that, that isn't, we're not here to talk about magicians. Although I did have poor Daniel's magic set when I was little. Did you have one? I didn't, but I feel like I've
0: missed out now and I'm going yeah. to speak to my parents about that. Why did <laughs> I not have, you've had a neighbor's
1: board game. I yeah. didn't have one of those. Poor Daniel's magic set. i oh, seriously, my parents need to up their game. I'm going to have to rethink my narrative to my younger sisters who I always complain got everything when they grew up and I got nothing. But actually, I think I had quite a fruitful upbringing compared to you. I'm writing a letter of complaint to my mum and dad straight after this episode. But also, all of these games are in a storage unit somewhere. So I think you and I have got a day at oh. some point in the future where we just we can relive our yeah. 80s childhood. All that team building. Yeah. I love it. Anyway... Well, that's quite a frivolous start for a topic that we're covering today that isn't that frivolous. <laughs> I know, I know. But the only thing I'm really pleased about is we haven't mentioned the weather. Oh, you had to go there. <laughs> <laughs> so today we wanted to explore psychological safety and what that means for you as a leader and for your organization as well. And so I suppose it, it feels quite a grand term. So To explain what we mean by psychological safety, it's that sense or that belief that you're not going to be punished or made fun of or have any negative ramifications if you speak up. And when I say speak up, it isn't about whistleblowing, which is what people often think about with that term. It's about feeling that you can share ideas, you can ask questions, you can raise concerns. You can make mistakes and you have that sense of safety amongst your team to take that risk. That's what psychological safety means and and all of those things we're going to be covering in today's conversation. And the reason I wanted to cover this topic was because I read Amy Edmondson's brilliant book, The Fearless Organization, which we'll link if you've not read it. I highly recommend it. And it was a book that gave me so much to think about. I was reading it quite often in my random commutes into London to meet up with people. And I was marking up pages, getting my phone out every few minutes to take notes the whole way through, which I don't often do with books. So it was one that spoke to me. And I got really reflective um, about the organisations that I'd worked in in the past, how safe I felt in them, and also how safe I made it for other people. And I've said before about some of the organisations I've worked for had been quite toxic at times, but I'd never really considered it in terms of did I feel safe being in the workplace? But I think now in hindsight, I can absolutely see that at times I didn't feel safe. And I can think of examples where, you know, a boss who didn't want to hear bad news at all literally shouting at me in front of other people, accusing me of not protecting her when we hit a really bad point in in our kind of organisational history. My team didn't want to deal with this person and I became a buffer to protect them. So my mind immediately went to some of the situations I had to deal with with that person. I think of another place that I worked when I didn't feel listened to or didn't feel my views were appreciated by certain people around the table. And their bad behaviours weren't being tackled by other people. So I actually started avoiding having conversations or avoiding situations where I had to deal with those individuals. And then I reflect as a manager. So I've shared, you know, the hideously embarrassing story of me slamming my hand on the table to show authority, which is so, so cringe. Mm -hmm. And it was a one-off thing. And I definitely didn't do it again because I immediately knew how cringe it was. But now I realise that just that behaviour, that one action, I wasn't creating a safe environment for my team. And what impact did I have on them? I don't I don't really know. So I've had a real journey yeah, exploring have. this. And having looked more into the topic as well, there's there's so many different ways that we can go with this conversation. I think it's really important as a leader that you need to build connection as I always say but you've got to create safety to do that and so that's really like how I come today with this topic and I suppose I just want to lay it out on the table where my mind's gone with some of this and get your early thoughts on it as a topic.
0: Yeah absolutely and gosh that yeah it was a frivolous start to a heavy conversation wasn't it but I'd like to think that that frivolity came because there is a level of trust between us that we can Mm. have any sort of conversation no matter how light-hearted or how heavy it might be so one of the things that struck me is partly as I was listening to you and partly have my own reflections on where I've worked and, and who I've worked with and I think trust for me feels like such an important aspect of building that psychological safety mm-hmm. and I know we've done an episode before on trust and you know, plug for people to listen to that one but I think you know part of of being able to share your opinion being able to share ideas it Mm. doesn't even have to be a controversial opinion it could be a creative idea or possible solution to something does often come with that need to be open and to be vulnerable in terms of being able to share that without that fear that you're that you're going to be judged so I I absolutely think this is a, a really important topic to talk about and I reflect on some of the situations I've been in before where like you I wouldn't maybe necessarily have described it at the time as not feeling psychologically safe, but actually on reflection, it, it definitely mm. has been that mm. for me. I've worked in a leadership team where there were two absolutely defined camps in that leadership team and you were either in the CEO's camp or you weren't. And actually there were a couple of us in that leadership space who didn't really want to align ourselves with either camp. Mm. And, but actually what happened was we didn't share a view at all because it didn't feel safe, I realize now, to have an opinion or to share your professional view on something, because the safest thing to do was just to keep your head down. So actually, that on reflection now has resulted in me thinking how many times did I um, accept or enable bad behaviors by just keeping my head down? Because Mm. personally, for me, that's where I felt safest. But also, it meant I wasn't contributing to the success of anything. I didn't feel valued as part of that team because actually just to get through the day head down you know don't make a view because you'll be judged you'll be perceived to be in one camp or the other and that will have have ramifications and and I also thought about a time quite early on in my career where I worked for a leader who it was now on reflection quite complex I think in terms of the kind of impacts of that but it was a leader who actually in the early days of working with did absolutely loads to make us feel safe as a team. You know, lots of team building activity, lots of opportunities to come together and share ideas, appeared to be very open-minded, um, very empowering, very enabling. They would all be words I would use to describe that leader. But then at some point, something obviously shifted for them, and actually their actions changed and their behaviors towards the team and individuals in the team started to become quite toxic mm. and again it was your point about sometimes as well you you end up in a position where you're acting as a buffer mm. around some of that to try and help other people to feel safe so you absorb a lot a lot of what you said is, is really resonated with me and, and I've definitely come away from my thinking ahead of recording this episode with you about what impact do I have in my own team do I help to create a culture of psychological safety am I Putting in enough time together as a team to help build that trust and I, and I think one of the things that I've reflected on is despite having been in my organization for six and a half years, I've actually got quite a new team now because we've got new people that have joined, we've been through a restructure that actually is creating that psychological safety harder when we've been developing as a team in a virtual world. We don't have time together in person. We do a lot of what we've done online. We've had people who joined the team and for, for many months didn't even meet in person another member of the team because of the pandemic. So has that had impacts on how psychologically mm-hmm. safe my team feels? So you opened up a whole Pandora's box by having the conversation with me about recording an episode around <laughs> this thing. But I feel like it's been an opportunity
1: to to really reflect and try to gain some insight. Yeah. And you're right about the different types of work spaces and the different generations and all of that will will view certain situations, certain ways of working, certain expectations all very differently. And that can all impact on how safe someone feels. Thinking about this topic actually got me thinking again about imposter syndrome. And anyone that's listened to the Women in Leadership episode would have heard my views that imposter syndrome's usually a cover for something else and there's something behind that feeling something that's happened and I suppose when I started to read that book and think about more broadly creating that sense of psychological safety at the workplace it connected some dots for me and when people are reporting that they feel like an imposter in their team or organisation I'm not made to feel comfortable here. Does that mean they don't feel safe? I don't feel like I know enough. People know more than me. Is that them not feeling safe? So is imposter syndrome another symptom, I suppose, of people not feeling safe?
0: I I think that's really interesting. And the more you've talked about it, the more I I would absolutely start to think, yes, it is for sure. I think it's linked to definitely that sense of psychological safety for sure, but also that what's what's your experience been to date and if your Mm. experience of sharing your professional opinion for example Mm. has always been met with that negativity or somebody putting you down or somebody making a a judgment that has impacted on you negatively then you're going to be more and more cautious to do it and I think that's where that imposter syndrome you know whatever we want to label that creeps in And, and maybe it is just another label for people not feeling Safe in their organisations or safe to perform in their role in the way mm-hmm. that they really should. So, yeah, I think that's quite an interesting take on it, Lee.
1: Just thinking, I can absolutely close my eyes and I am back around the executive table, and I can see certain individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be their body language, folding their arms when certain other people are talking around the table, rolling their eyes, sighing. If we Verge into a conversation that they don't like or they feel bored or they don't want to engage in it. Getting really defensive if you question something in their area and and quite often people would feel um, threatened. Maybe that is a strong word, but they would feel like, oh, my opinion doesn't matter or I'm not allowed to, to tread on, you know, stay in your lane. Mm. I hate that phrase because mm. that's that sense of you can't get involved in conversations that don't relate to you. And so all of that for me, I think that is is why I don't really resonate with the term imposter syndrome, because I just think stuff sits behind it.
0: Absolutely. And your point about you can close your eyes and go straight back into those circumstances, that's really powerful, isn't it? That resonates with me because I can now think of a handful of individuals who probably haven't made me feel psychologically safe in different parts of my career journey Mm. that actually if now even now if somebody said their name I would probably start to feel a level of anxiety I would question how good I am at at something because I I think oh how would that person react I've been in situations where you know they haven't been supportive or they have thought I've not been good enough and despite how confident I can be in what I've achieved in my career just the mere mention of a few different individuals will throw me right back into that That space of I can't do it. I don't know what I'm talking about. Somebody's better than me, and you're right. That's that's that imposter bit, isn't it? So maybe imposter syndrome's the label for a whole range of symptoms that are caused by not being
1: psychologically safe in the workplace. But I don't know about you, but certainly I have that. Everything just goes rigid when I think of you know one or two in particular people that I've had to deal with in my kind of corporate career. And when they moved on to other places, my trust in where they went and the judgment of the people that appointed them and people who became friends with them or became part of that inner circle was all affected. So, so actually, that that safety net doesn't just limit to your organisation, mm. but can limit to how you view anyone that interacts with people who make you feel unsafe
0: yeah and it's back to that trust point again isn't it you start to lose trust in other people because of decisions they're making Mm. around those individuals so uh, I think it's it it is hugely complex and hugely nuanced and about the only experiences that, that you've actually had for sure and and I would say just on that point I have actually been doing some work myself around reframing some of my thinking about some of those individuals that still actually do fill me with fear mm-hmm. and trying really hard to to reframe that to be actually when I think about those individuals, I'm reframing that to actually remind me of how confident I should be because there's a a bit of that as well that's around other people's insecurities and maybe people people have their own insecurities that play out because they don't feel psychologically safe either it is so complex isn't it for sure but it has such a huge huge impact that sometimes I don't think you realize till much later on um as you've said you do those reflections now and you go actually that was about me not being psychologically safe it wasn't about some of the other things that I maybe put around that yeah Whether you're just starting out in your communications career or you're already stepping up into your seniority as a communications leader, the Cats Pyjamas Ascend programme is on hand to guide and support you. Ascend is a package of six one-to-one mentoring sessions devoted to helping you achieve your goals and move forward with confidence. You'll have direct access to support throughout our journey together and a chance to check in once the program's over. Visit cats pajamascouk to find out more and book your free 30-minute discovery call.
1: Hi there, if you're enjoying this episode of How to Take the Lead, please hit subscribe and leave a review or a rating. We'd also love to hear your stories and thoughts on today's topic. Please DM us at how to take the lead on Instagram or Twitter, or tag us into your socials using hashtag how to take the hashtag howToTakeTheLead. One of the interesting things I read around this concept of trust and psychological safety, as you've mentioned trust a few times was that often they do get used in quite an interchangeable way, but they aren't necessarily one and the same thing. So safety is how you feel perhaps at that group level, but trust is definitely that one-to-one thing. So safety might happen in the moment, whereas your trust, will that person do the right thing, is is more future-focused. Um safety is i might not say something or take an action or flag something up because i'm worried about the immediate consequences Mm. whereas trust is do i think in the longer term the right thing will happen so there are some nuances in trust and psychological safety i don't know whether trust would exist if you don't feel psychologically safe but um I think if if you do feel psychologically psychologically safe, it doesn't necessarily mean you also have trust, if that makes sense.
0: That absolutely does make sense. Because I think if you think about trust in terms of those one-to-one relationships, that takes a long time to build. But Mm. there is something about if you are in that group scenario, how many people in the room do you feel like you trust and do you trust them enough to... Air an opinion and feel like you can do that safely without a consequence. And actually, the the bit that's quite frightening for me is sometimes just one individual in in a yeah. group can limit how psychologically safe everyone else feels.
1: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So one of the conundrums that I've had, and I'm I'm sure other people have as well, is this concept of how do you, as an organisation, as a leader of an organisation, develop a safe culture but also ensure high performance and accountability because there's a sense of, oh, well, if you're psychologically safe, do you just let things slide and anyone can do what what they want? And you see organizations, the book talks about Volkswagen, it talks about Nokia, for example, as organizations where they really drove performance and, and wanting to be the best at all costs. And actually what they ended up creating was really unsafe environments that that failed. This links with empowering innovation in organizations. And there was a McKinsey study, which we can put a link to, that showed something like 85% of executives believed fear was holding back innovation in their organizations. That's fear of criticism, fear of uncertainty, fear of negative career impacts and all the rest. So how do you start to create a culture of safety whilst ensuring innovation, accountability, high performance, which as leaders you strive for.
0: Yeah, it is really interesting, isn't it? That perception that has perhaps been out there that you can't have both. And like you say, you've given some examples of companies where they've been so focused on one, it's been at the neglect of the other and that's created sort of unsafe outcomes for Mm. sure. But I think a lot of the research and a lot of the reading that you can do around Um, psychological safety does demonstrate that high performing teams so we're talking about performance Mm. often have a high sense of psychological safety when you delve into that because I think for me psychological safety is really linked to being open to having an approach to problem solving and solution finding and creating an environment where there's divergent thinking. People in psychologically safe teams, I think, often feel more motivated or it's linked to things that motivate them. There's Mm -hmm. higher motivation in high-performing teams, and it's a word that I'm sometimes uncomfortable with as a description. But I also think the research shows that high-performing teams with a high sense of psychological safety are more resilient. So Mm -hmm. actually, when there are issues that come up, they are able to deal with them I I guess in in a more comfortable way so I think for me building that culture is around self-awareness both self-awareness of you as a leader but self-awareness within the team as well mm-hmm. I think that you know again links maybe back to some level of, of emotional intelligence around some of that having that insight in terms of how you are having an impact on your team and how other team members are impacting on each other. But I think the key things are around that blame avoidance. We've talked about fear. People fear being blamed if something goes wrong. If they have an idea or share an opinion, they're going to get blamed if people take action on it and it wasn't quite right. You need to find a way to avoid that blame culture if you can in your team. There's something about how do you engage with each other as members of that team and as a leader of that team. Are you being open to to seeking feedback? There's something about that clarity of purpose as mm. a team. If you're a high-performing team, you're often very clear about what your purpose is. So having that clarity of purpose is really important. But creating an environment for people to constructively challenge, I think, is the bit where you come into that space of people feeling psychologically safe. Mm. Your bit about fear, I think, is is an important one because I personally think fear does hold back innovation I think it's fear of failure and I think sometimes that there are leaders who often feel failure so they start to lead with a bit of an iron rod and that psychological safety isn't there because it becomes all about the performance because they don't want to fail that that fear of being blamed we kind of mentioned fear of speaking speaking out but if you can start to develop a culture of people in your team feeling psychologically safe I think that encourages experimentation creativity people to really foster and and build on new ideas a focus on sort of being curious about actually Mm. where certain things can take you I think all feel like an important kind of test bed for innovation to be honest with you so for me I think psychological safety and, and performance almost work together I, I think it's better if it works
1: together rather than being focused on one or the other the point you make about clarity of purpose I think when you look at organizations that have failed they might have had a clarity in purpose but there was a rigidity mm. in the leader who was so outcomes focused that they weren't willing to try different things and to test whether the purpose was the right purpose or the question they were seeking to answer was the right question. So I think that's really important. And I think on the accountability part, that's an important part of making people feel safe as well because we all can think of... Well, I go back to my earlier example of bad behaviours not being tackled made me feel unsafe. So if people are seeing an injustice of people not being held to account If someone has put someone at risk or or perhaps not met the organizational policy or whatever it might be, if that's not dealt with appropriately, it is going to impact how people feel about the safety of the organization if they're being protected by their leader, by their manager, by the organization. So I think that's an important part as well. You can be tough without creating fear. Yeah, I, I think that is
0: absolutely true. And it, it is really important. It's part, back to that sort of role modelling, isn't it? And that taking mm. action and addressing poor behaviours. You're right, you can do that and still create a sense of psychological safety because I think we touched on it in this conversation earlier. Is if people see poor behaviours not being addressed and being allowed to continue and allowed to fester, that stifles people's ability to be able to participate. Yeah and that that therefore will have a knock-on effect on your performance so you do have to address some of those more challenging issues obviously in a compassionate way but to demonstrate that actually certain things are not acceptable in terms of behavior because it doesn't create that psychologically safe environment
1: yeah and I think when we've, we've touched on this before about the sense of not having too much ego as a leader and I think um that sense of power and ego are all things that influence the creation of an unsafe environment if you're a leader so if you think you know best if you're super directive or micromanaging people then you're reducing the likelihood each time you behave like that that someone's going to speak up is going to give you a suggestion will report a mistake for example so there is a lot of stuff that you need to do as a leader who you choose to listen to We've all seen that where people have been dismissive and I'm sure we've done it as well, been dismissive of people who they think aren't perhaps expert enough in the field to have a have mm. a view on something and that plays to your ego. Just look at your staff survey results. Are people saying that they feel their opinions matter? Do they feel they can raise issues or ideas, do they feel listened to? You've probably got a weight of data out there around how people are feeling about either you as as a manager or a leader or your organization as a whole.
0: Yeah, I I think that is a really good point to make in terms of how do you work out? I mean, I (laughs) there's a bit of you that wants to think it should be really obvious as a leader Mm -hmm. if you're not in a psychologically safe organization and you're not helping to create that but I think the point you're making Mm. is that there are some leaders who are not open to seeing that and so because of the ego yeah yeah, because of the ego so I think to be a good leader you, you do need to be you know triangulating all of that data that you've got that is telling you whether or not people feel able to speak out, share new ideas. Uh, The point you raise about, do people feel that they can report a mistake or an error without that fear of being blamed or judged for it? I think that's really crucial, isn't it? To being able to improve as an organization. Mm -hmm. So if as a leader, you're not open to thinking differently about that and starting to understand where people are on that spectrum of psychological safety, then I think you're, you're hugely missing a trick because it's going to impact on, on your organisation, the culture, the workforce, the performance for sure.
1: I also think we've we've been talking a lot about staff within organisations and your role as a leader, but I do think this is more broadly than that. I think it extends to people who interact with your organisation. So how safe are you making it to speak up or to feed back? After I left my corporate role, I had uh, quite... An intense time with a family member who needed care from the health service and it was interesting again when I look back now and reflect so my mum didn't want to complain about the issues because she thought a it was going to impact on the care that this person was being given at the time and b she assumed that the professionals knew best so those were things that she was like oh We just have to go with what people are telling us. I knew better because I (laughs) had worked in a system and understood the process and and knew I just wasn't going to stand for that as, as a kind of quality issue. But even the first response we got through the complaints process, she would have just sat with that and accepted it, even though it was really, really poor, because she thought there was nothing she could do about it. I wasn't necessarily made to feel welcome when I did raise things but I suppose I knew enough about the rights and wrongs and felt I had a duty to do something about it for those who who couldn't and I think about you know interactions that we had with individuals and we were having a conversation my mother and I went on behalf of, of this relative with a doctor who was going to give some life-changing news that was really hard for us as a family to process and and my mum asked a couple of questions and the doctor waved in her face and said hello hello do you not understand and we were shocked and it shut my mum up and even now two three years later you know she'll talk I'm I'm getting emotional thinking about us but you know that sense of someone in the way that they physically reacted the words they use how they made her feel stupid and belittling would have stopped her from taking that forward now i've pushed through my redheadedness came out and i wasn't going to stand for it and and so we have gone through quite a, a detailed complaints process with, with the people in the organizations involved but my mum wouldn't have done that and that organization would never have learned they would have never known there was an issue and that was because they didn't make the people who use the services safe and sorry that was a long (laughs) no no
0: no and I I can feel the emotion coming through in in the conversation and there's frustration there as well isn't there and the bit that really frustrates me about that is you're not demonstrating you know I I just feel like none of us organizations or individuals are finished articles there is always 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 Mm -hmm. room for improvement and actually if you are going to be closed minded and you're not going to listen to people and you're not going to create a culture or an environment where people can speak up and say this doesn't feel right. Then I think you know you're not being an organization or if you're an individual, a leader who is open to that learning and that improvement. And that just makes me feel sad, actually. That makes me feel really sad because I'm like actually the people who know best are the people who are receiving your service or the goods or whatever it is that you're, you know, your purpose is to serve someone else when you're leading an organization and actually to to not in, to create an environment and the conditions for people to tell you when something isn't going right just feels like an absolute failing to me and that makes that does make me feel really sad and mm. I know that doesn't just happen in healthcare but I know healthcare is where we've got a lot of our background and that mm. is always a very emotive place to be in because it is genuinely about people's lives and yeah I just think that's very narrow-minded of organisations to be so dismissive of people's experiences, and it it is just sad that there will be individuals who don't have family members like Ely who feel that they can keep pushing through to be heard. That would just accept that first response and even when it's not right.
1: Yeah, that's what drove me because I just knew I just wasn't going to accept it, and it and it upset me to think that other people would be experiencing what we experience. It upset me to think that um, people who don't have the contacts or the knowledge of the system and the ways of working aren't helped to understand that or feel that they can actually... But it goes back to the organisation says all this stuff, that they're open, they want to learn, blah, 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 but their behaviours and actions don't match up with the, the things that, that perhaps the top team is saying
0: yeah and the experience therefore Mm. of their customers clients patients whichever scenario you want to put in I think that just from from my point of view I feel like you showed a level of bravery and a level of courage there because you continued to speak out and you continued to push even though the conditions were not psychologically safe or safe in any way from Mm. from Mm. you know what I know of your experience but but that took a level of bravery and that took a level of courage and it It probably took a lot of energy at a point in time and in your circumstance where actually your energy would have been better spent somewhere else. And and for me, that makes me cross because I feel like that's very unfair. Fairness is something that's really important to me. And I'm like, if I was a leader in that organization, I, I would really struggle with how well I slept at night, because uh, sadly, I imagine your experience won't be one of an exception, but the organisation won't know that because it's been made too difficult for other people to feel like it's safe to speak
1: out. It does have that knock-on effect, which, you know, as we've already spoken about, that sense of someone can move or you have one experience somewhere, And then it can have a ripple effect in how safe you feel in other environments. When you're trying to build trust, you don't know that starting point. Yeah. And you're trying to build safety. You don't know that starting point that someone's coming at and what they've experienced and where they might need to be met. It will be different for every person. Yeah, people's backstory is always going to
0: be there, isn't it? And unless you take the time to be curious about and and understand that, you could be acting with all good intent and still have a negative impact because Mm -hmm. you don't know that person's story. So I think that is a really important point.
1: So moving us on, one of the other responsibilities that that leaders have is this notion of they need to protect the reputation of the organisation that they serve. And sometimes In the need to preserve the reputation, it ends up directly or indirectly silencing other people's voices. And I suppose, again, this is another question of can the two exist? You know, can you create or protect the reputation whilst? ensuring safety that means people are speaking out on stuff well I think the example that you've just gave which was a very personal one
0: Lee demonstrates that perfectly that actually if the organization had reacted differently and started to demonstrate and create conditions of safety and people being able to speak up it might have had a more positive impact on their reputation because actually Mm. what you've just demonstrated is that organization now has a really negative reputation with you. It's not a reputation (laughs) that stands well. But then with your family, your family members, the people that are close to them, like you said, that's not an isolated incident. So that will continue to have that ripple effect that you talked Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. in relation to reputation. So for me, it feels like that there is obviously a tension there, I think, because it, it can feel like quite an uncomfortable space to operate in. But for me, leaders who are genuinely open, genuinely transparent, genuinely compassionate will not be looking to silence people and they will actually see the act of somebody speaking up, sharing feedback, giving a good idea, talking about a mistake that's happened as an opportunity to learn as an organization to grow as an organization and therefore to have a positive impact on that reputation Mm, mm -hmm. and I think you can see examples of leaders where quite frankly the crap has really hit the fan and something terrible has happened actually the way that person chooses to handle that and represent their organization can mean that that reputation is there as an, an organization that learns that is compassionate that holds its hands up to the mistakes that's made and, and makes every effort not to make them again mm. so for me I want them to be able to coexist so passionately yeah. Yeah. because I think it's so important And and where there is something negative that needs addressing then you're more likely to find the solution if you're working in a psychologically safe environment rather than Shutting people down and silencing them. So, I guess for me, there's something about organizations needing to create mechanisms for people to share their voice rather than silence in it. Because yeah. I think that silencing in, whether it is intentional or not, it does actually quite a lot more damage to an organization's reputation than it does mm. any good. Mm. I think
1: that's because often, and I'm not saying this across the board happens, but often. Leaders who perhaps aren't open to listening and all of that kind of stuff, they think or behave as if managing their reputation means they've got to keep the bad news out, they can't be criticized, and all of that kind of stuff. Whereas for me, I always think of it as more about making sure you're not bringing your organization into disrepute. And that is absolutely linked to people's trust and respect. And that's completely different. (laughs) Yeah
0: yeah I agree with you and I think that view of like we can't ever have any bad news is very naive view of leaders Mm. to have and I have worked with a leader like that who pretty much was asking me to spin what they perceived to be some bad news and it was like absolutely no that's not that's not what's going to happen here and I think that also comes back a bit down to personal integrity doesn't it and if you Mm. if you have strong moral compass then you will always be striving to do the right thing and if that means that you have to Be open about a mistake or something that's gone wrong. That is the right thing to do, to be able to fix that and resolve that for other people and people you're right will respect you more and therefore your reputation, you know, stays intact or it does have a positive impact on your reputation by actually openly addressing an issue rather than trying to cover it up.
1: Yeah, it all all goes back to what are the boundaries that you're setting as a leader, as an organisation and how clear are you in the process so if someone does something to breach that boundary or that policy or whatever it might be then obviously you need to act as we've already talked about if you've got something that's really woolly and unclear then that's when you get the noise and the mess and the confusion and you're going to have to take a different approach I kind of want anyone listening to this not to think that managing the reputation means they've got to Close down and hunker down. What's the what's the phrase? Close all the hatchets. No, I don't, oh, I don't know what the phrase is. Bunk bunker down the hatchets. No, what's what's the word? Well, you've confused me now because there's so many in there. I'm like I don't know which saying she wants.
0: Hunk hunk. I don't know. And we hunkering down. Are we closing that? I don't know what we're doing. But I get I know what you mean.
1: You know what I mean. Yeah. S- some kind of Dorothy and Wizard of Oz in the storm kind of situation I've got in my mind. Batten down the hatches.
0: We That's sins? it. And the hatches. Yes.
1: yes. I was like, "Goodness, if one of us can't think of the saying, then I've definitely caught your leism <laughs> affliction." To move us to a conclusion, I suppose, of our conversation because it's been a meaty one. But if you want to build a more psychologically safe organization where do you start I say that as if it's like a really simple one line (laughs) yes
0: hang on let me just get out my uh, action plan with my 10 points of what you need to do we've I think we've agreed that it's very nuanced and it's very complex isn't it and it's all about people's own personal experiences but for me I think it's about starting to have conversations in your organization about this Listen to what your organization is really telling you. If you want some tips on that, listen to episode six of this podcast where we talked about listening and then try to think about working out what's needed to enable others to feel more psychologically safe. It is about listening, it is about trying to build that trust. And again, we've talked about that in another episode. I think it's as a leader about being compassionate, but Mm -hmm. all of that needs to come from a genuine place for me. I think. You have to be a leader who wants to create and enable that environment for people to be able to feel empowered and to raise concerns and to challenge the status quo if that's what's needed. But, you know, you have to be on board with that because if you're not, it it won't come across as genuine and it won't therefore start to create that psychologically
1: safe culture in your organisation. I think those are all really important points and for me it can be as simple as what are the questions that you need to ask to to try and be more open in the way that you inquire of people it could be how you choose to respond when people are taking risks so you know appreciate the fact even if you don't like what you're hearing appreciate the fact that they've taken the time that they've risked it to raise it with you how are you praising people for the efforts they make regardless of the outcome again links to that sense of if failure doesn't need to be a bad word if you've learned from it and a lot of that comes to how you, how you frame stuff as leaders so what the language you're using what's that culture you're trying to create and there was something that I read in the book that there are the four phrases and I suppose I want to leave people with with questions to themselves when was the last time that you said one of these phrases i don't know i need help i made a mistake i'm sorry because if you're not using words like that you're not role modeling the safety that you want to see Thanks again for listening to today's episode don't forget to hit subscribe so you're the first to receive new episodes when they drop every thursday if you enjoyed the show please rate it or leave a review visit howtotakethelead.com for all the info from today's show to catch up on previous episodes and to sign up to our mailing list
0: and we'd love to know your thoughts and experiences on the topics we cover follow us at How to take the Lead on instagram and twitter to get involved in the conversation so until next week get out there and take the lead